This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Adam Jones and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and of course, previous Sunday's 12 noon game with Fulham, of course, moved with the uh, changes and everything else going on with TV. So 12 o'clock on Sunday, the Blues are at Fulham. Uh, so we will obviously look ahead to that game and talk about Fulham's form and former players we will face with, of course, plenty of other news lines to get our teeth stuck into. So um, Carlo Ancelotti having his pre-match press conference at Finch Farm. And um, Gav, I'll start with you. The issue of five substitutes is rumbling on. Carlo, yeah. um, according to his press conference answer, appears to be softening to the idea a little bit. He seems to be pretty adamant pre- prior to the international break that three subs was enough, but he seems to have uh, have warmed a little bit more to the idea of the reintroduction of five subs. What do you think? Uh, not surprised, really. I think I'm pretty much in the same uh, same boat uh, now. Um, I was firmly in the the camp of this this is another ruse to give big clubs a bit more clout and be able to exercise their spending power and big squads at the expense of smaller clubs. But I think as it's gone on it's it's a little bit more than that, isn't it really? And you know your primary focus really as a supporter and and, and the manager is to protect your own squad. <laughs> and uh, at the moment I think not just for <laughs> it, it's 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 a number of things, isn't it? It's players being affected and also, you know, Richard Dan and everybody else are talking about, you know, this assessment and saying some players, which will get worse over the next Christmas period in December when we've still got FA Cup and FA Cup and then obviously League Cup before Christmas. So it's busy we're going from one busy part of the year to another busy part of the year. And then, uh, come, out so, of, yeah. and then come out of a busy part of the year and then there's an international break again in March and so Yeah, yeah. It goes on, doesn't it? Yeah. So I, I, I think as a RBC five, to be honest with you, um, on the basis that I want to see Everton playing the best he can and sort of the setters and players not being more than what they, uh, you know, uh, can be. So yeah, I'm I'm in the uh, the five sub camp now. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, but actually, is Gav's gut instinct and initial reaction to the the uh... The push for five subs not actually still very much relevant. This does feel like a move if it comes to fruition that would benefit the top four or the established top six. You have got bigger squads, more strength in depth. Mm. Um, you know, is this not you know as much as it is about player welfare? Is it not also going to benefit those clubs more than than Everton and, and, and others? Yeah, I think it certainly will. I think it, perhaps if we are to bring in this rule this year, then maybe. A few years down the line, we'll see how much of an impact that it's going to have on the bigger clubs. You know, who do have these bigger squads, you know, much more money to be able to spend on better quality players to have on the bench. And I think over the next few years, we probably see uh, the effects of that a little bit more. But I think Gav Wright in saying that, you know, player welfare does have to come uh, precedent at, at this point because... I think he makes a really good point that we, we're in a busy part of the season now, but we're about to go into the busiest part of the English football season, definitely that December-January period where we've got, you know, Everton are going to still be in the League Cup. Fingers crossed we'll still be in the League Cup into January as well. 
and you've got the FA Cup getting added into that as well. You've got games on Boxing Day, New Year's Day. It's just it's just an absolutely hectic schedule at the best of times. And when we've got this massively truncated season, which needs to get finished at a certain time, because we've got an international tournament in the summer to get underway before we start again. It's just a constant a constant cycle in the midst of a global pandemic. And it's it, it just doesn't make sense to me to only have three substitutions in a minute. And looking at it in a, in a particularly selfish sense for Everton, I think Everton are actually in an all right position in this sense. I think we've got a deep enough squad that five substitutes would actually benefit us a little bit in terms of, you know, just being able to give players a, few, a bit of a rest on certain occasions. So fingers crossed, we'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to take advantage of that in the future. But as I say, I think perhaps in the next few years, we'll see, we'll actually see the effects of, you know, the bigger clubs taking advantage of it. But I think this year, it's just, it's just completely necessary for the uh, player welfare. Do you, do you agree with Adam in, in saying that he feels fairly co- comfortable that, that we would have a squad big enough uh, and good enough to, to, to get some use out of the five subs? I would have my reservations. Um, I don't view it like that. I view it as support getting the best out. I've given you an opportunity to get your best 11 on the pitch every week of the season. Now, if, if that means... That means bring, giving the opportunity to get them off the pitch after 60 minutes or 70 minutes. Um, because okay, okay. Oh, oh. I'm all thinking of this, of protecting your best 11 players rather than giving yourself the added quality or whatever of having oh. a deep, deep squad. Well, okay, That's okay. where I come from on this. Well, OK, in, t- in terms of protecting our best 11 players, and let's talk about protecting some of the most influential players. What if, if Carlo senses... Hamez and Richarlison are flagging late December, early January or, or whenever. I suppose my question is, is the squad good enough to maintain form, results? Yeah, yeah, to, I, get, I get to, that. To give them a rest. So, so it's, our players 15 and 16, yes. any good? <laughs> it's effectively what we're saying here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know it depends what part of the pitch we're talking about. And some parts have got a bit more depth than others, haven't we, you know, and stuff. Sense that Arthur probably wouldn't be a problem, but because yeah. the way you know and stuff, right wing maybe. Uh, the, the problem I, I would very much doubt about what we've seen so far 12, 13, and 14. We can probably improve a little bit, can't we? To be fair, um, maybe not, maybe not, but I don't, I just don't give it like that. Um, I mean. So, so maybe we play Fulham tomorrow, and you know Fulham could argue that Fulham playing Everton, but the five subs subs rule is a bit like Everton playing. Then like I say Liverpool, the five subs rule, isn't it really? Yeah. Um, you know, so rather than, I mean, and this is where some clubs will think about it, won't they? It's it's not. Don't look at the teams above yet. Look at the teams below yet. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think. Uh, I think although we, we we maybe haven't in terms of where we have that depth in terms of where we want to be, in terms of compared to the clubs below us or maybe even some of our peer group, we may be better off. Um, mm. But it's it, it depends on what I say. There's other factors there. You know, how many players have got out injured who are not available on the day and what position yeah. you're talking about. So... There's, there's so many different variables there, isn't it? It's, it's hard to judge. But in, in theory, you should have. Not I mean, money was... Sorry, I, The amount of money we spent, we've... Uh, 
you would expect to. Well, the, the way, Sorry, the, the, the way yeah. I've been thinking about it is how often has Anthony Gordon been one of the yes. one of the fifteenth or sixteenth men who you know has been on the bench but hasn't managed to get onto the pitch? And if the five sub rule is going to be able to get him a bit more time on the pitch now, obviously Carlo's been uh, trusting other players, you know, in the likes of Iwobi and Bernard, you know, people who are like more experienced. But obviously, we've been we've seen a clamour for Anthony Gordon because he's obviously a very talented player, and I don't think he's the only one in the squad who could be considered in in, the, in that situation. So, if the five sub rule is going to give the likes of him a chance to, you know, impress alongside Carlo, being able to bring on the more experienced players that he usually would in the likes of Iwobi or Sigurdsson or whoever he wants to bring on then. I think that's only going to benefit us. And I yeah, suppose as yeah. well, he doesn't have to use the all five subs every single game, does he? No, well, um, in the in um, in the nine games of the uh, Premier League's restart, I think there were six of the nine matches when he used all five subs. Um, but I think some of those games were because he was somewhat uh, cheesed off, shall we say. <laughs> uh, but, but, no, but no, Adam does raise an interesting point and a really valid point about five subs and how it could be beneficial for us. You know, you talk about Anthony Gordon. Tom Davis hasn't been getting any game time. Doesn't Sometimes yeah. doesn't make a squad. So when he is, when there is an injury, and, and you know, there could be injuries to Alan and there could be an injury to Decore one week and he's asked to suddenly play, He's not hasn't got that sharpness, but five subs will increase his opportunities. And what about uh, Jean Philippe Gabin? He could, you know, he could be the fifth sub ten weeks in a yeah. ten weeks in a row between now and the end of the season. And you know, otherwise he wouldn't would not necessarily have, have got any game time. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you know, instead of an opportunity to bring him on for 10, 15 minutes as the fifth sub rather than half an hour as third sub, isn't it? Really. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating discussion. This with all sorts of pluses and minuses, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think I think we said this. Like, I think we might have said this during the summer that somebody of Carlos' intelligence and management experience would take advantage of this, wouldn't it? It gives you all sorts of opportunities, not necessarily just replacing players who are tired and you want to protect. Um, it's also good for psychological players knowing that there's opportunities they might get on might then the five mm-hmm. sub rule as well so yeah um, and we'll give opportunities and whether it's there to do that I'm not sure to be fair no it's, um, it's not is it but... yeah it is you know but if you, if you if it's there but I'm, I'm going back just to clarify and make out on this by the way I don't think this is a long term thing I think this is just to mm. get us through to the end of the season really um, Gavin, in terms of you know yeah. providing opportunities, would would a decision to reintroduce five subs between now and the start of January strengthen the manager's hand when it goes into discussions with the board of directors and and, and Fahad Mashiri about reinforcements? Well, I'd like I'd like to think that what we've seen already about our backup players that he's already got a strong hand there. To be honest with you, Phil. Mm. To be fair, yeah. I think we just said it's not as if we got five, six really strong subs. You do with another couple. You've yeah. probably got maybe one or two, and then mm. the rest we we we've seen as if there's a big sort of drop off, isn't it? Uh, with all yeah. due respect, it's a testimony thing for some of the players we've got in the first team, by the way. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to think Carl's got a strong hand anyway. Yeah, uh, on this, so I'm not sure whether it affect that affect that decision. Mm. Well, neatly moving on to uh, the the winter market, as we call it, Adam. Um, Having only heard once from Carlo with regards to the 
rumoured interest in his former player, Isco. Uh, he's obviously commented twice this week, once to a Colombian television station where he used a, an expletive to describe, <laughs> to describe the rumours. Um, and then obviously today, he not quite as strongly, um, noticeably so, uh, again was trying to sort of play down the suggestion that he is interested in trying to sign Isco. Um, what have you made of, of his comments? What can you read into them? They're really interesting, aren't they? Because if we hadn't have had the situation with James Rodriguez in the summer and we were in this sort of scenario, I'd be saying to myself, oh, well, that's that's fine then. I don't know why he keeps getting asked about it. He's, he's very clearly said that Everton aren't interested. Let's just move on. Hmm. But especially his com- comments today in the press conference, I can't help but look at them and see the similarities with what he was saying towards, I think it was maybe even June, July time, that early on about yes. a, a potential move for James Rodriguez. And then, you know, that's that obviously transpired later on. And I'm not saying that, you know, Isco will definitely transpire later on, but it's just interesting to know those sorts of similarities. And it was it, it did just seem strange to me, especially with the earlier comments, with the expletive-ridden comments, shall we say, mm. uh, to that Colombian TV station. It did surprise me how strongly he reacted to that because he, he certainly didn't react very strongly at all when uh, when you asked him about it after the Newcastle game earlier this month. He seemed seemed very coy on the matter then, you know, didn't seem to be uh, coming down either side, but he was, he was very clearly trying to stamp things out earlier this week. So it's just, yeah, they, they, they're really interesting to me and I, I just can't help but notice those similarities with the Hammers, with the Hammers saga almost to, mm-hmm. to Trigger. Gav, you know, the most experienced member of the pod today. Um, <laughs> you, 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 you've, you've listened to more managers than Adam and I combined, I would say. Um, look, you know, it's, it's no secret that managers um, generally, and I'm not yeah. talking about specific, are sometimes economical with the truth to the media, shall we say, at times. Um, do you think Carlo is being straight here and this is, you know, forget it, I'm not interested in Isco, or is he trying to play down the links because actually he is interested in his skill. Yeah, I, I can't also say I can't remember Gordon Lee swearing to a Colombian television station there. To be honest with you, you know? uh, I, I can I can remember Gordon Lee swearing, but not in, not in, uh, not in Colombia. Uh, I think Carlos savvy enough is me. I think I'd like to think he's. I think there's probably an interest there, isn't it? And he's just playing it down a little bit. He also mentioned Sammy Kadira today, didn't he? Which was another. Uh, yeah, for a bit of context, I think uh, yeah. Adam, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong. Kadira had been had been interviewed and and had talked about how he would like to be reunited with Carlo one day. Uh, um, yeah, he was talking about uh, an an admiration of Premier League managers, and he talked about perhaps being uh, reunited with Mourinho and. Uh, Ancelotti, and uh, he, he certainly didn't rule out uh, wanting to link up with Ancelotti again. And Ancelotti certainly didn't rule it out the other way either. No, a, a come and get me play. I think it's referred to as uh, by the player. <laughs> uh, but, but I think the, the, the sort of the reason that you know we're uh, a little bit sceptical or, or not necessarily taking Carlo's response at face value is, is, is Real Madrid's financial situation. I'm not sure if you're aware of this week, but La Liga confirmed the salary cap for clubs for the rest yeah. of the season. And Madrid, although their salary for players, etc., is still hugely uh, dwarfing anything we could ever imagine, um, have been have been required to, or will be required to slash costs by about 27% of 
So, you know, a big yeah. cost of any football club, but particularly of those, is high, highly paid players. And Isco isn't playing, he's out of favour. So you can see why there is a, there is a belief that there perhaps is something more, more to this. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Um, and it's a, it's a it means you can any deal is favourable on Everton's terms as well, then, doesn't it? Really, as we've seen previously. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't rule out Cisco. I mean, the one the one thing I would, and this is like worst case scenario is, I know he's he's got Hammers and he's got Allen. I mean, one one of the things is if you go back, if a manager goes back for too many of his former players, yeah. If that manager leaves, and I'm not like saying Carlo's going to leave here, you're then left with a little bit of a problem, and I need if, if your personal relationships are strong with players. What yes. happens if you go? Mm. You know, and, and, and I think it's good for, you know, you said this in the summer when Ivanovic was linked, wasn't it? You said, like, yeah. at some point, I would expect, you know, I don't know, say, maybe not ideal, but you could see why you'd, I'd said at the time that you'd want to go back to get a player that you trust and work with, you know. As a manager, but you can do that too many times, can't you? Because that leaves a pl- that, that that leaves the club with a residual problem. Should that manager leave? I guess, Gav, sorry to interrupt. Therefore, that 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 appears to be a balance that Mr. Mashiri, Marcel, yeah. Marcel, the chairman, will have to strike because it, it's about providing Carlo with the players he thinks will make an impact this season and get the ball rolling and hopefully get us into Europe with. A longer-term strategy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and then you get to playing it. But what's the director of football doing after the uh, that environment and stuff? Well, now, it's, my it's, view is, is it? Sorry, Phil. My, now, my view on this is what it is in the summer. Is although I, it, it's to me, it's not maybe not the best policy. What I'd say is, if the board has gone to the trouble of of employing Carlo, then it's got to. You've got to get what Carlo wants, haven't he? Yeah, it, really? it, it, it does. It does feel as, as the first summer of Carlo's um, reign has transpired that it's left. It's been less about Carlo molding himself to Everton's policy as more Everton molding themselves. To yeah, Carlo's yeah, but that's policy. what that's always going to be the case. That's why I've employed him, I and that's why I had a little bit of you know that was one of these why I was like so it's not necessarily in favour of that of because you know you've then got an issue if it goes a bit wrong then. Um, but it's also if it's gone completely right for us over the last seven or eight years anyway, really. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, for, the, for all you can moan about it, um, I think if, you, if you're going to... I, I would, I'm going to have to trust Carlo here, really, Phil. And if that's if he, if he wants this go, it may not be for the long-term benefits of Everett, but in the short term, if it keeps Carlo happy and we get results again into Europe, then you've got, you've got to go with it. Yeah, There's no point employing him for seven, eight million a year, whatever his deal is, and then blocking them, but yeah, I think there's a, I think anything after Isco, I think that would be three players, anything after Isco you'd have to probably, I'm not saying we're going to buy Isco here or a, a yeah. third signing that he's worked with, I think once you get above three, it's, it's a little bit you, you, you end up like you end up like Howard Kendall at Man United Man City's only the near United, you really brought those better players Yes, in. and then, then Howard leaves, you know Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, so um, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. This there's the balance to be struck. Yeah, whether but one more may be okay, but mm. I think that from then on it does like that longer term vision for the club. Then sort of has to take precedence over the matter. 
the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another thing that sort of piqued my interest in Carlo's press conference, of course, as well as the injury updates, Coleman out. Um, it sounds like pretty much everybody's fit. Uh, Gabamin, by the way, who we mentioned earlier, uh, now still two to three weeks away from returning to Finch Farm when prior to the break he was due back this week. So yeah. um, uh, no suggestion of a setback per se, but clearly the times, the time frames have not quite aligned, have they, on that one. Uh, but the other thing was Carlo was asked about <clears throat> no fans, and the impact that has had on home form. Now, obviously, Everton's home form up until the international break under Carlo had been very good. Um, and he was actually, but he said, oh, the lack of fans is having an impact um, and, you know, on, on teams' home forms. But my immediate thought was, well, our last two away games, we've been pretty poor and the home team have won, won easily. Um, <laughs> so uh, do, you, do you agree with Carlo or, or is it just perhaps a convenient, you know, side of, not excuse per se, but a convenient sort of mitigation for the current run. Um, I, th- I think I do have to agree with Carlo in a sense, to be honest, because when you look across the entire league so far this season, it's hugely shocking to me that there's only one unbeaten home record left intact in the whole Premier League. And, you know, there's some teams I think have only played three or four home games and they've still managed to get beat in one of those. And, you know, you, we we you, you usually wouldn't wouldn't see that this early in the season, so uh, I think I think that just is surprising to me. And look, we can we can talk about how good Carlo's home form has been. Uh, while fans were in the stadium, he didn't he didn't get beat at home as Everton manager. He only he's only been beaten at home by Bournemouth and United, wasn't it? Before the international mm. break, it is only yeah. It is only two losses at home, both come without fans. So in terms of Everton, I think you'd have to say, yeah, it does. It does certainly have an effect. And it, yeah, we've we've also talked a lot in this podcast, especially over the last few weeks, about Everton. Well, until until the Southampton Newcastle game, of course, and of the increase in Everton's away form as well. Yes. Been, it, since Carlos came in, we've been winning a bigger proportion of away games. But I think without fans as well, that's you know helped us out massively. You know, especially going to Spares away first game of the season. It's, I've got no doubt in my mind that them having no fans in that stadium probably helped us a, a huge lot in terms of you know settling our new signings in and giving them giving them a game that they just didn't want to play on that day. Hmm. So I've got to agree with Carlo that yeah, I think the the lack of home fans certainly is having an effect on teams being able to pick up results at home, and I think maybe just. You know, the, the Newcastle and the Southampton games, I think we can we can safely say that whether there were fans inside or outside the the stadium, <laughs> if we were if we were to play like that, then we're we're gonna get beat regardless. I think that was very much matters on the pitch rather than off the pitch that have lost us those two games. So fingers crossed we'll be able to put those firmly behind us for this weekend. Lovely, I'll maybe segue into the uh, next Per uh, subject on today's agenda, of course, it is the game. It is Fulham, 12 o'clock on Sunday. Gav, uh, Fulham's home form so far has, has, has not been great. Um, they look like they've struggled to adjust, certainly defensively, yeah. to the Premier League. And obviously, matters com- compounded before the international break when uh, our, fo- our former charge, Adamola, decided it was the opportune moment to try a Penenka. And uh, look, to us, I, f- I felt for him, but 
you know, yeah. It, 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 Scott Parker's comments did strike me slightly odd in that he was saying, "Oh, he's young and you know he's going to make mistakes," and and but yet was was quite critical of him. And so I was thinking, well, why is he on penalties then? I think he was. was it, I don't know. I've heard various stories about this. To be honest with you, um, that didn't he take the ball off Mitrovic and you know just be brave, brave man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's how Luckman's career sums up in a T, isn't it? For, when did he join? Ever was it four four years ago in January? 20, four years 20, ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty seventeen. You know, yeah. Sort of a uh, unfulfilled talent. I know he's actually done quite well, hasn't he? Maybe from what I believe for Fulham, um, and he did that. He, he, I'm not sure how many games played last year. Ten or twelve games for Leipzig, um, but he had done well on loan uh, before, and so. It's just a talent there with Adam Oler, isn't it? But sort of summed his career up thus far, didn't it, really? What might have been, and you're sort of being an agent of your own downfall a little bit, which in some respects he was a little bit of heaven, you know, I think. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. That, uh, it was, I thought it was quite an interesting com- uh, comment by Carlo before his press conference that made the team under pressure tomorrow or where to that effect, wasn't it? I thought it was... Uh, was quite, you know, obviously mm-hmm. fair the fact that, I mean, I, I would imagine if you compare our form of Fulham's form over the last three games, they picked up a little bit, haven't they, since after the really yes. poor start? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we conceded four or five goals in the last five matches. We've lost our last three. So I can see why Carlos saying that. Uh, I, um, put it this way, this is a lot more difficult fixing what it looked like a month ago, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it will be. I think it, it, it's interesting one, isn't it? About home crowds, was that Fulham? That was a good away crew, isn't it? A fun, mm. you know, it works the other way because you have that open end, don't you? The sort of that mixed, mixed yeah, exactly. Mixed behind it, you know, so you can have a really strong away supporter Fulham, which will be missing tomorrow. And I'm just wondering whether that it's a game tomorrow where you'd want your away fans there. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, he's picked up a little bit, but when let's face it on, on paper. You're looking at the two teams, and I don't know. We've had the international, you know, jet setters around the world and stuff. You're thinking it's got to be. You've got to. We've got any aspirations to get into Europe? It has to be a three pointer over the weekend, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting. I just thought it was interesting as comments he made. Whether mm. he sort of said that for the players' benefit, in other words, I want to perform toffee tomorrow and get, yes. get your backside into gear. <laughs> I suspect that's probably what it is. Uh, yeah. To be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just staying with Luckman. This week we um, we had a, we had a conversation and an interview you can read with uh, Damien Matthew, who was Everton's uh, under twenty three scout in London and the southeast, and had been a coach at Charlton when Adamola was coming. And obviously his, his input was was uh, sort of uh, valued at the time. And Everton were looking to sign Adamola in, in late twenty sixteen. Damien Damien had a few. Um, theories as to why it hasn't worked out or didn't work out for Ademola at Everton. You know, he felt that um, obviously the managerial upheaval was was significant. He also felt that he's a type of player that needs to play off a striker rather than wide. But what I think the most interesting thing for me was when he said, you've got to judge a player like Ademola on what he's done and where he's been. And he hasn't come through the academy system. He was picked up at Charlton as a 16-year-old playing sort of Sunday league, Saturday league football, and he hasn't had that education. And so he hasn't necessarily tactically, he may be behind his peers. I mean, why do you think it didn't work out for Adamola? 
think it's really interesting that last point, isn't it? And it's probably one that you can't breeze over because in that sense, he's kind of a late developer, really, isn't he? In terms of you know becoming a professional footballer, let's say. He's, he's certainly a late developer and it makes it all the more impressive, you know, how, how good he looked, I suppose, in the first game. You know, getting that goal against Man City, I think he had a, a number of, you know, impressive performances over his first few months at Everton, you know, coming off the bench, etc. And, you know, there was a lot of excitement around him. And if I, I, I still think the biggest thing about him was the, the managerial upheavals. Mm-hmm. I think there was just, especially when you've got Sam Allardyce coming into the club as well and he had a, he had a very specific remit of what he wanted to do in his head wasn't didn't he and he, it was very focused around experienced players playing in a very certain way neither of which was were ever going to benefit Adam in any sort of way and that's of, of course when he got his first loan move to Leipzig where he where he looked really good uh, during his time in Germany and then the disappointment from probably from his end of not being able to get that get that move through the door. I'm not sure really what happened with the Marco Silva. You know, we've, we've had Richarlison and Bernard playing so well, essentially with Marco Silva, didn't we? So there just wasn't a place for Luckman after that. Uh, so yeah, I, I think probably that, that period under Allardyce was probably the was probably the main one for me. And he's not the only one who lost out in that sense. I think Nikola Blasic was probably... Yeah. In a similar boat, really, wasn't he? And you know, we keep seeing how well he's doing for CSKA in Moscow now. Yeah, and obviously, he's not the uh, the only former Everton player that we're expecting to face on Sunday. Anthony Robinson, of course, joined Fulham in the summer, and of course, injury permitting, uh, he will line up at left back. And um, just quickly, and, and before we go into predictions and we, and we finish today's poll, I wanted to ask you both about a player who has been mentioned today, but uh, you know, I, I think there's been a, a growing kind of Quietly, there's been a bit of a debate about him. Some questions after a very, very, very impressive start to his Everton career, perhaps not quite been at the level recently. Um, Gav, Alan, um, is he yeah. feeling the is he feeling the effects of that injury picked up early on, or is the pace of the Premier League catching him out at the moment? Where do you stand with with Alan's performances? Uh... It has to be seen in the context of the wider team failings for the start. Yes, it's not as if he's playing poorly and we're winning every game four 0 Is he really? Uh, yeah. I get the I get the injury. I mean, I still I still don't think he's a hundred percent fit. To be yeah. honest, but yeah, he's ironically he's probably one of the few Premier League players playing at the moment who looks less fit now than what he did at the start of the season when mm-hmm. people are hardly trained. You know, um, there's just like a you sense sometimes where like this. Something's not right, you know. It's it's and 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 I think uh, to me he's not he's not looked fit since he um, come back. You know, not not like fifty percent fit, but he's he's probably ninety percent. But that extra ten percent is what you need. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's probably also as well, maybe suffering from the fact that he's not playing his natural role, we're asking him to sit a little bit deeper and maybe like to get a little bit more up and down and, and that causes problems as we've seen is that leave, when he moves up the pace that leaves a pocket behind him and then players get into that pocket. He's not, you know, that whole, I mean, I thought we were really compact in that middle today at the start of the season, first few games and it's sort of become a little bit more flexible for once of a better phrase over the last month where we don't appear to have that same discipline and organisation we had in the opening games of the season. And, and he looks far worse for it. Um, 
but he's still a good, he's still a good player, isn't he? I mean, yes, yeah. I, 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 I don't like stats, but only have to quote them when uh, it suits me, <laughs> as you well know, Phil. But has he made more tackles than anybody else? I saw the stats, is it? There's something right, okay. talking about, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I'm being choosy as ever there. But <laughs> I, I'm not particularly worried about him. You just, I just like to think that if once we collectively get our mojo back, you'll see, you'll see a better player. I mean, put it this way: he's not been poor, has he? There's been, no, there's been players who've been poor, but he's definitely not one of them. And I put it this way: he puts a shift in, doesn't he? Yeah, so it's not, it's not, it's not bad attitude or anything with him, is it? Really, he's, yeah, he's, no. he's just a little bit off the pace, and he's suffering because. The team's been suffering a little bit and frailties in central defence as well haven't helped. Yeah, um, and, and personally, yeah. I think that the absence of Richarlison over the last three games, I think he just, I think he, he connects a lot of moving parts and I think perhaps Alan and Decore have perhaps had to go and fight fires on the left of that midfield three because that left-hand side is not as... Yeah, it's um, not as strong and obviously we've had the thing on the right-hand side. So I think, I think there's, there's a couple of things going on there. There's, I know I don't, for another day, Obviously, I know where Carlo spoke about Cabaman today, and it will be interesting to see, you know, Alan's role. Maybe if Cabaman comes into the team, put it this way, you may see Alan playing a more familiar role. Yes. Uh, um, in in the midfield, in the midfield, three or four. Yeah, so I'm not particularly worried. Yeah, I do like him as a player, uh, and uh, he's he's not one of the things that keeps me awake at night when I'm thinking about Everton to be honest with you Phil uh, there's, there's several other areas of the pitch that that do uh, to be honest with you yeah. I, I thought your thoughts on, on Alan's recent form you know be superb early on not not quite hit those heights as we say well, any concerns for you or no I've got to agree with Gav I've not got concerns about Alan as an individual I think what Gav says about you know, the balance in that sort of midfield three and how compact it was at the start of the season is quite interesting because I think especially in those opening games, you know, when we had Alan to Corey and Andre Gomez was the third man in central midfield. Gomez wasn't, you know, making these long busting runs forward or anything like that. He was keeping keeping fairly uh, disciplined to that position, wasn't he? And I think perhaps what we've done in putting Gilfie Sigurdsson in that role, yes, we've given, you know, Calvert-Lewin a bit more support in terms of a midfielder breaking forward but we've maybe lost a bit of that uh, defensive rigidity in let's say in front of in front of the black back in front of the back four and that's maybe where Alan's been exposed a little bit and you know I think any player any player in the Premier League gonna struggle against the likes of Bruno Fernandez the way he was playing against us to be honest. So I've not I've not really got uh, many concerns about him as an individual in that sense but Again, I think Gav's right in saying that I don't think he's playing in his natural position. I think in the second half against Manchester United, we saw Alan getting on the ball a little bit more and he was spraying a, spraying a few more passes. I think he was good. He was good in terms of like making tackles in the first half, but I think we really saw the real side of Alan in the second half. He was bringing the ball out a lot better, and I'd be quite interested to see how he would play alongside Decore with, you know, hopefully in a few weeks, Gabaman coming into that defensive midfield role because I think Gabaman's going to be going to be better suited to being a defensive midfielder. I think annoyingly in the system that we've got at the minute, Idrissa Guy would be the perfect man to be <laughs> sit, sitting in that holding role, is wouldn't he? And I think maybe, you know, Alan's he's not exactly the quickest. He's not got the same engine that Idrissa Guy's got. So I think maybe some teams have looked at that and thought, if we can isolate Alan, you know, he's, he's maybe not got 
the quickness or the energy yet in the Premier League to keep up with us. Maybe we can uh, create a few chances there. And I think Manchester United especially uh, exposed us a little bit on that front. But uh, as I said at the start, if we can you know, find that compact balance again with those three players in the centre, I think that kind of offsets offsets any uh, deficiency that Alan might have in that sense and it you know allows him to grow a little bit more in that position. I think he can definitely play in that position because of how good he is defensively and how uh, how strong he is in the tackle, etc. and how good he brings the ball out. But you know, if he if he does get isolated, I think the physicality of the Premier League it's still something that he needs to uh, he needs to uh, get himself up to. Okay, chaps, good stuff. So, uh, right, we come to the point of the podcast and the, the real reason why anybody tunes in for predictions. <laughs> um, Preno submitted his, so I will leave his to last. Uh, I'll go first this week. Um, I think the Blues will come away from Craven Cottage with a 2-1 victory. Gav? You know what, Phil? I'm going to be totally honest that I thought the same, so I'm going to go with that. Everton to win 2-1. Add? I've I've got a sneaking feeling like the the pessimist in me thinks that Fulham are definitely going to score a penalty this weekend. <laughs> not just because of Luchman not just because Penenka. of all the Luchman's Penenka, but because Alexander Mitrovic was the man who missed for Serbia to send Scotland to the Euros at right. the international break. So they've got two two players who really want to take a penalty and score it. So I'm I'm just hoping to God that we don't concede the penalty. And I've still got the. The last time we went to Fulham, ingrained oh, in the end. Yes. We oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Placent lost two 0 and Ryan Babble scored, which is aye, just. Aye, aye. Yes. So I really want us to just dispel those myths, and I think I think we'll win three one just because Richarlison's back, and I think we'll actually start creating chances now that he's back. Yeah, and um, without wanting to uh, ruin the illusion that this is some sort of hyper-slick operation, Adam, can you just shout across to Sam uh, what his prediction is, please? <laughs> Sam, what's your prediction? My prediction? Thanks for getting me involved. 4-0 uh, Blues. 4-0. <laughs> I heard that. 4-0. Yes. Sam says 4-0. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> Sam show why he's not invited on the podcast with that prediction, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Far too optimistic. Yeah, good be- stuff. Invited well back on if that comes in. Well, yeah, 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 absolutely. Right, that's good stuff. Uh, Gav, Adam, and of course, Cameo from Sarah. Right, yeah. Thank you very much. Good, uh, excellent insight. Lovely uh, company as always. And thank you very much for listening. Of course, uh, I will be at Craven Cottage uh, on Sunday. Obviously, Premier League restrictions only allowing uh, one of our reporters into most away games at the moment. Adam will be, of course, back at base pulling the strings, uh, but we will provide all the best usual analysis and opinion and reaction. As always, stick with us across the weekend and then the uh, the boys will be back Monday to reflect on what hopefully is a way victory in London. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.